Well, please remain standing and turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 71. Psalm 71, if you're using a pew Bible, you'll find that starting on page 484. We'll read the entire psalm this morning. Beloved, this is God's word. And in his kind providence, it is ours to hear and receive this morning. Let us give our attention to it. In you, O Yahweh, do I take refuge. Let me never be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me and rescue me. Incline your ear to hear me and to save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come. You have given the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Rescue me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of the unjust and cruel man. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Yahweh, from my youth. Upon you I have leaned from my birth. You are he who took me from my mother's womb. My praise is continually before you. I have been as a Important to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise and with your glory all the day. Do not cast me off in this time of old age. Forsake me not when my strength is spent. For my enemies speak concerning me. Those who watch for my life consult together and say, God has forsaken him. Pursue and seize him, for there is none to deliver him. O God, be not far from me. O my God, make haste to help me. May my accusers be put to shame and consumed with scorn and disgrace. May they be covered who seek my hurt. But I will hope continually, and I will praise you yet more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteous acts, of your deeds of salvation all the day, for their number is past my knowledge. With the mighty deeds of the Lord Yahweh I will come. I will remind them of your righteousness, yours alone. O God, from my youth you have taught me, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and to gray hairs, O God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to all those who come. Your righteousness, O God, reaches the high heavens. You who have done great things, O God, who is like you? You have made me to see many troubles and calamities. You will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and my comfort again. I will also praise you with the harp for your faithfulness. O my God, I will sing praises to you with the lyre. O Holy One of Israel, my lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you. My soul also which you have redeemed and my tongue will talk of your righteous help all the day long. For they have been put to shame and disappointed who sought to do me hurt. So ends the reading of God's word. Uh, Join me in prayer that we might ask our God to speak to us. Uh, Through his word this morning. The heavens, O Lord, uh, declare your glory, and the sky above proclaims your handiwork. Day to day they pour out speech, and night to night they reveal knowledge. Your word is perfect, it revives the soul. 
It makes the simple wise. Your precepts are right, and they give joy to the heart. Your commandments are pure, and they give light to the eyes. And so your word is to be desired more than gold, even much fine gold. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our Lord, our Rock, and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Are these psalms beginning to sound a little bit repetitive to you? It's okay, it's just you and me, you can be honest. Are you starting to think, yeah, yeah, we get it. Judge our enemies, deliver us, okay. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't blame you. We don't usually like repetition. We think it's boring. Occasionally a child will say something like, again, again, again. But usually when that word comes out of a child's mouth, it's like this. Again? We don't like repetition. Wasn't once enough. And sometimes the reason we don't like repetition is not because it's boring, but but because it's convicting. There's one thing I hate more than being told my failures. It's being told them a second time or a third time. Because that reminder underlines the fact that they are still getting the best of me. That I haven't conquered them. My sins, my struggles, my failures are still present. And above my power to conquer. And so when these psalms start sounding repetitive, it's our temptation to think, okay, we've heard this, can't we move on? But maybe we should ask, why would God group all these psalms together? Why does he want them to be read as a unit? What's he up to? Now, we do need to remember first that similar is not identical. Each psalm has something special, something unique, something different that it wants us to hear and listen to. Nevertheless, I do believe that the repetition in Psalm 69 and 70 and 71 is intentional. In his best-selling book, uh, Outliers, The Story of Success... Malcolm Gladwell, maybe you've read it, makes an interesting argument. He looks at Canadian hockey players, the Beatles, and Bill Gates, because why not, and other well-known success stories. Uh, He calls them outliers, the unique people in their generation, the outliers, not common. And he looks for common elements in these outliers, these success stories. And finally, he makes this proposition Success is not just a matter of natural talent. That's part of it to be sure, but it's also due in large part to opportunity and timing. He starts by noting that 
the vast majority of Canadian professional hockey players are born within a three-month span of the calendar year, the beginning of the year. He starts to ask, well, that's odd. But what it means is, as they start junior league, they're just a few months older than the other five-year-olds and six-year-olds, which is enough of an advantage to get them onto the all-star team. The all-star team gives them better coaches, more practice time. And their little advantage turns into a big one. That more practice is that final element that Malcolm Gladwell notices. He says, most of the greats, these outliers, have honed their skills over hours and hours and hours of practice. He argues that the magic number is 10,000 hours of practice to become a master. Truly great. Now, for perspective, that's 417 days straight. 24 hours a day, seven days a week of practice. That's almost 14 months straight of practice time. Repetition might be boring, but is an essential aspect to mastering a skill. Perhaps the reason God keeps repeating these things over and over is because if he just says them once, we'll smile, we'll nod, and we'll quickly forget. Perhaps he knows the secret to mastery includes repetition, a lot of it. And perhaps he is repeating these themes because they are important for us to understand, for us to master. And that theme of repetition doesn't just come out in that the themes of, of Psalms 69, 70, and 71 are similar, but the theme of repetition is, is at the forefront of Psalm 71 itself. Something that sets this psalm apart is how many times it uses phrases like more and more, continually, remind, yet still, and again. These ideas of something happening over and over, more and more repetitively, again and again. Psalm 70 sought to learn from Israel's corporate history in order that they might trust that just as God had delivered them in the past, he will take care of them in the future. That, that we looked at that, that theme from the Exodus as Israel enters the wilderness. The God who delivered you in the Exodus can help you in the wilderness. Psalm 71 is similar, but instead of looking at the corporate history of God's people, it starts to reflect on our personal histories. Seek and remember that the God who has cared for me from birth is the God who will care for me on my deathbed. And that, I believe, is something we need to understand. Repetition is essential to learning anything, including what it means to trust God. Repetition is is necessary. It's essential if we are to learn to trust God, which is much harder than it sounds. If I could summarize uh, what I want to talk about from Psalm 71 this morning, it would be this. We learn to trust God's character through repeated opportunities to depend or rely upon him. That's where we learn. We learn through repeated opportunities to depend upon him, to rely upon him. And that means in order to teach us to rely on him, he has to give us repeated opportunities and needs to do so. 
again and again and again. It's funny how often and how much people will try to talk as if God is not important. I'm sure you've heard it. People say something like, uh, you know, they smile, they look at you, and they say, I don't love God. I don't hate God. You know, I'm just kind of like, whatever. It sounds great, right, in our modern age. So inclusive, so tolerant. But how would you feel if your spouse over the dinner table one night said, I don't love you, I don't hate you, I'm just like, you know, whatever. What if a parent said that to a child or a child said that to a parent? Would it feel great, enlightened and inclusive? Or would it be the deepest possible injury that could be given? How can you be indifferent about the one who created you, who gave you life, who who put breath in your lungs, who crafted you in his own image? How can you think that being indifferent is okay and not the greatest possible offense? But we know the reality, don't we? Indifference is always a smokescreen for anger. When a girl says, I'm so over him, the one thing we all know is she's not over him. She's saying that to hurt him because indifference is the greatest insult. Those who claim to be indifferent are anything but. And we see this come out in our psalm. You see, the the enemies of whom the psalmist is, is worrying about, talking about, dealing with, they are acting as if their attack is on the psalmist. But where does that attack eventually get directed? In verses 10 and 11, they think they're attacking the psalmist. They say, even your God has abandoned you. But what are they really saying? They're saying, God is not faithful. He may have helped you in in days past. He may have helped you before. But you're on your own now. You can't depend upon him. He can't be trusted. He's not consistent. He is not reliable. (laughs) That's not an attack on the psalmist. That is an all-out assault on God's character. And it's this that gives the psalmist hope. Because now it's not his battle. It's God's. He's confident that that God will defend his own honor. Because God is righteous. At the very core of who God is, something he cannot deny within himself is that he must do what is right always. It's just who he is. That's what it means to be righteous. Now, God can be patient but he cannot be indifferent to good and evil. He can wait, but not forever. Righteousness must always win out in the end, or God is not God. And that's the whole basis of the the request and the prayer of the psalmist in our psalm. 
He takes refuge in God, verse 1, but very quickly explains what that means in verse 2. He, he says, in your righteousness, deliver and rescue me. In your righteousness. That's what he appeals to. He's essentially saying, God, because you are righteous and do not let those who attack your character go unanswered, I have continually placed my trust in you. And they say, I'm a fool for doing so. And I know you. You can't let that go. He's appealing to God's character, his unchanging, perfect, righteous, and consistent character. He's appealing to the fact that God is as reliable today as he was yesterday, and he will be tomorrow. But of course, the reason this is all coming up, the reason this is being addressed, the the reason this whole psalm is being written is because the writer finds himself in an all-too-familiar situation. He's under attack. He's suffering. He's in pain. And we know the temptation when trials come. What do we say? Again? I can't go through this again. I barely survived last time. I'm sure this time will be the end of me. I just can't do this anymore. And in the midst of those trials, we're tempted to believe that God is mean, that he's unloving, uncaring, that he loved us. He surely wouldn't make us go through something so painful again. And this is because we're focused on the wrong thing, really the wrong person. We're asking at that moment, am I strong enough? Can I do it? When we should be asking, is God still faithful? Will he abandon me? Or has he promised to preserve me? Ask the wrong question and you will get the wrong answer 100% of the time. Think about the people in your life whom you trust the most. Those people you turn to when you are at your lowest. Why do you turn to them? Because they've been unfaithful in the past or faithful? (laughs) It's probably because you trust them. And you trust them because they have proven themselves over and over again. They have shown a constancy, a consistent character. They've demonstrated themselves to be reliable. And most likely they have done it when times were hard. God is no different. When do we learn to trust him? That's the most important lesson you will ever learn in life, to trust God. When do we learn? It's as he preserves us through the hard times. And as with all things, it's not something we learn the first time or even the second. It's something we learn through repetition. Look at verses 5 through 9 and 14 through 18. The writer confesses that God has been faithful since he was born. Verses 5 and 6 and verse 17. 
In both of these sections, he says he's now old and his hair is gray, verses 8 and 18. He is pleading for God to be faithful, consistent, and unchanging. He's not saying, God, do something new. Do again what you have done before. But look at what he confesses in verse 17, that God has been teaching him something through his life, that God is mighty and faithful and righteous. It's a lesson he has learned many times, and it's a lesson he's still learning, even as his time on earth is growing short. He's able to trust God in this trial precisely because God has always been faithful. Because God is a consistent God. Because because the psalmist has been there before. And because God has loved him enough to repeat these lessons. Character is demonstrated. We learn someone's character through their consistency, through doing something over and over. If trusting God is is the most important lesson we can ever learn, and it's taught through God's faithfulness and struggles, this is a lesson that will have to be repeated. Because God repeats things that are important. And he continually shows himself to be faithful so that we might continually trust him more and more so that we might be able to bear witness to God's character. It's a lesson we learn through God's mighty deeds in history, like we saw last week in Psalm 70, but it's also a lesson we learn through repeated personal experience. And eventually we learn that this next trial won't be the end of us, not because we are strong, but because the same God will meet us in that trial and he is faithful always. This lesson, that things repeat themselves, becomes especially important as we face our own mortality. One thing that unites all mankind is that none of us can beat death. We can postpone it by making healthy choices, taking safety precautions. But none of us can silence the grave. A hundred years from now, all of us will have one thing in common. We will be on the other side of the grass. But for those who trust in the God who is consistent, the God who is always faithful, the God who repeats himself for our benefit, these know a secret. That if we lived once, verse 20 says, we will live again. That if we should lie in the depths of the earth, we will be brought up again. That even in death, we can be confident that God will comfort us again, verse 21. This confidence is rooted in God's righteousness as well. And it starts with Jesus. The faithful God of Psalm 71 would eventually come into this world to deal with our greatest enemies, sin and the grave. And as we noted last week, we can do to ourselves what no other can do to us. Others can take your wealth, they can take your comfort, they can even take your lives 
But we are the only ones who can reject God's grace and his offer for salvation. Our greatest problem is that we have rebelled and sinned against the righteous God who can be patient but must always deal with sin eventually. That's our great problem. Sin, rebellion against God, deserves his wrath and his curse, both in this life and for all eternity. So how can God's righteousness be a comfort for sinners? That's the great question. Why would a sinner ever plead God's righteousness as a comfort? Well, God came into this world in the person of Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life. He was tempted, as as we read in Hebrews 4 earlier, in every way as we are and yet did not sin. And that means he didn't deserve to die. Because death is a punishment for sin. And so when he was unjustly put to death, because God is righteous, because he must do what is right always, Jesus had to live again. Because God's righteous, the grave could not hold Jesus. He had to rise from the dead. But what about you? Do you have to rise from the dead? Well, if you trust Jesus, if your faith is in him and not yourself, then Jesus died in your place. He took your punishment upon himself. He suffered all that you deserve. And that means your debt is paid in full. Your slate has been wiped clean. And because God is righteous, you can't be punished for sin that has already been punished. If you trust in Jesus, God's justice, his righteousness, demands that death cannot hold you forever. The grave can't win. That you must be revived brought up, and live again. This is the unavoidable consequence of God's character, the unavoidable consequence of who he is. God's character is good. It is perfect. It is unchanging. And our problem is not that God is unreliable. Our problem is that we don't trust him enough. What we need is to learn to trust his character. We need to grow in faith, reliance on him. So here's the great question. Where do you learn faith? Where do you learn to rely upon God? How do you become an outlier, to borrow Malcolm Gladwell's term, a success story in what it means to trust God? Part of that story is repetition. Being in situations where you have to trust him because you can't trust yourself. Again and again and again. You might not like this sort of repetition. Most people don't. But it's shaping you into something. You're becoming an outlier, someone well-practiced in trusting God. Is there anything else you truly want to be? 
Now, I know what many of you in this room are thinking right now. You're thinking, great, I talked to the pastor and he writes a sermon that Sunday about our conversation this week. I can't tell you how many conversations I had this week. And that was the question. Why is God allowing this to happen again? I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but I didn't write this sermon about you. But that doesn't mean that God didn't intend for you to hear it this week. He's like that, isn't he? Graciously giving us the word that we need to hear in the midst of a hard week so that we might understand his purpose. When the Lord is putting you in a position where you are forced to rely upon him and not your own strength, maybe it's too much to hope that you will learn to say, again, again. But maybe we can just not, maybe we can learn to just not say, again? I can't go through this again. This time will be the end of me for sure. I just can't do this anymore. Maybe instead of saying that, we could, we could learn to pray Psalm 71, and it would sound something like this. Oh God, you have taught me from my youth, and I still proclaim your wondrous deeds. So even to old age and gray hairs, oh God, do not forsake me until I proclaim your might to another generation, your power to those to come. You who have made me see many troubles and calamities will revive me again. From the depths of the earth, you will bring me up again. You will increase my greatness and my comfort again. I will also praise you for your faithfulness. It's not an easy prayer, but it's a good prayer. Repetition is an important part of life. So much of life is repeating the important things. Telling your loved ones that you love them over and over and over again. Celebrating important events each year. Coming to worship each week. And drawing near to the Lord's table. Do you remember what Jesus said when he gave this meal to his disciples? Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. He gave us something to be repeated, and that often. Why? Because we learn through repetition. Every time we come to the Lord's Supper, we are forced to remember what Jesus has done, that he came and lived a sinful, I'm sorry, a sinless life for our sinful selves, and that he willingly died the death of sinners. And that because of God's own righteousness, he he was raised from the dead. And because he's righteous, even if we die, we will be raised again. And so as we come, let us not say, again, but again, and again, and again. Let us delight in God's repetitive instruction, knowing that he is in all things teaching us to trust him, knowing that he is consistent, knowing that he doesn't change, 
knowing that he can't fail, that he can be trusted, that he is faithful. I'd like to ask the elders to come forward that we might receive this gift this morning. Please bow with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, you, you know us. You know how we hate it when hard times come once, and we hate it more when they return. But you are a patient God, and you teach us through repetition. You want us to know your character, to, to see your steadfast love again and again and again. And in this, we learn the most important lessons, that you can be trusted. This is where we learn to rest in you. So we thank you that you love us enough to teach us the hard and important lessons. We praise you that even if we die, we will live again. Even if we are buried, we shall rise again. And even if we are afflicted, we will be comforted again. For you are a good and steadfast God. And so we praise you. Amen.